World War II, a tragic event with more well-documented stories in it than any of those before. With the advent of pictures and video, we know how horrific the war was. These photos and videos give us a look into things we never could have imagined, but the most important stories from the war come directly from those who have experienced it. Welcome back to Untraditional. I'm your host, Zoe Wools. Today's episode will tell the story of one family's incredible journey through the war. The beginnings of World War II stemmed from the endings of World War I. With Germany unsatisfied with the conclusions reached in the Treaty of Versailles, tensions throughout Europe started to grow. Um, in 1940, the Soviets wanted, uh, uh, even though the war wasn't on yet with Germany, they thought things might be happening in that way. So the Soviets got uh, permission from Estonian government, <laughs> as if they had a choice. There was a million people in Estonia, that's not enough to fight off a huge country. So the Estonians allowed them to have permission to have a, a navy base near Tallinn, which is the capital. And then, a little while later, Soviet bombers showed up over Estonia and uh, bombed a bunch of stuff and uh, took over, annexed the country. Of a country of a million people in 1940, Estonia ended up with about 100,000 people deported and sent to Siberia or shot. This is Riho Kalda. He's a former psychiatrist at the University of British Columbia, and his life started right after the life of the war came to an end. Oh, I'm Rio Calda. Um, I'm Zoe's grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, my background is uh, Estonian originally. Uh, we lived in Germany at the end of the war, went as ref- refugees to Belgium, and then got accepted by Canada in 1950. Went to Northern Ontario, and eventually I went to uh, medical school in Toronto, and then moved to Vancouver in 1986. His parents went through a lot living in Estonia. The country was occupied by Russia until 1991, when it eventually had the opportunity to declare independence. My parents, uh, for the longest time, thought that we'd be able to go back to Estonia. Um, Hope springs eternal. In August of 1939, the foreign ministers of Germany and the Soviet Union, Ribbentrop was a German, and uh, Molotov, after whom the cocktails are named, signed a secret pact, it was called a non-aggression pact, that they would not attack each other. And between the two of them, they divided up Eastern Europe. Half of Poland was given to Germany and the rest of the Soviet Union. And in uh, 1940, the Soviet Union attacked Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Finland, uh, Poland. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they broke the pact. And on a personal note, uh, my dad was uh, conscripted in 1940 into the Soviet army. My dad had been a military college, he was an officer, he was a lieutenant by then, and he and a squad of soldiers were conscripted into the Soviet Union and fought against the Germans, who were already at the borders of Estonia and passed there, I guess. Russia at the time was not one for politeness. Estonia became property of the Soviets, and the Soviets were not afraid to show it. Because... um, 
the Soviets did all these deportations. I mean, ten percent right. of the population went, were sent away, half half of whom at least didn't survive. With everything going on in World War II, it's impressive to see how far the Germans were willing to stretch their army. Estonia and the Latvia, Latvia and Lithuania were occupied uh, until the Germans came in. Then they occupied them. Andre Kalda, my great grandfather realized that him and his men were going to perish if they didn't find some way out of the Soviet army. He and his squad of soldiers holding up a white flag went marching across and surrendered to the Germans that, across the German line, uh, risking being shot by the Soviets uh, who saw them as deserters and the Germans who saw them as Soviet soldiers because they had Soviet uniforms on. Anyway. Uh, my dad got imprisoned for about a year by the Germans. Uh, and then the Germans realized, my dad lost a lot of weight. They starved them to horrible. Anyway, the Germans realized that they could use some more soldiers. Mm. So they took over what had been the Estonian army to be German army. So my dad fought on both sides of the war. We're coming closer to the end of the war now. But how did it end? And what happened to Andre? Toward the end of the war, the Germans couldn't really hold back the Russians anymore because they were fighting on all the fronts, you know, in France, uh, uh, they even the Germans went into Italy to help them and Mussolini uh, fight off the Allies, and the Allies were advancing northward through Italy, uh, from France, from Belgium, from Holland. <laughs> so. Um, the remnants of the German army that were the Baltic people, they, they uh, formed their own divisions and had them fight the Russians. So they're still German army, but they had them fight the Russians on that front. Right. Uh, and because, because the people didn't want to be um, taken over again by the Russians, they fought very valiantly and vigorously, thinking that they would then again achieve independence once the war was over, right. no such luck. <laughs> my dad was also injured somehow. I think his arm or his hand, I can't remember how, but he uh, was injured and that's why he got to go on the uh, German hospital ship. Usually in those days, hospital ships were painted white with a big red cross on them. So you can't say, oh, they looked like a destroyer, and that's why we shot them out of the water. But, um, you know, it was wartime, and the Russians didn't pay any heat. They shot one of the hospital ships, and it sank. But the one that my dad was on made it to Germany. Um, there was still a bit of the war left at that point. And from my understanding, and, and he took my mom. They married in Estonia as a condition of getting onto the ship, they only took spouses. So they ended up in northern Germany. My dad ended up still in the army. Uh, somehow he ended up toward Berlin and then the war ended. My mother in the meantime got sent by the Germans to be a secretary. Uh, she, she spoke German quite well. She was a very good at languages. She, she, she spoke German so well that the Germans couldn't, couldn't tell that she wasn't a native speaker. And then the war ended. 
she was in Czechoslovakia and she didn't know where my father was. Communication, no cell phones, no long distance. I mean, everything was in disarray at the end of the war. So she figured she better head uh, west <laughs> from Czechoslovakia. And she did. She was pregnant with me by that time. And to get across the Russian lines where, you know, the war was over and they were consolidating their territory. Um, my mother had to get across the Russian lines into German territory. And she was, I think, walking along the roadside after hiding in the woods and going across fields. And then American uh, convoy of jeeps and trucks or something came along and picked her up and she drove across the lines that way and ended up in southern Germany in the refugee camp or they called it a DP camp displaced persons and still didn't know where my father was and here she was pregnant with me um, you know no possessions no high school diploma, no anything, just the clothes on her back. Yeah, and how did he meet my mother again? Yeah. She was in the south of Germany. He was apparently around Berlin somewhere. It's um, The Russians at the end of the war took a lot of prisoners and shipped them off to Lord knows when, and many didn't return. And uh, people from the Baltic states, they assumed would be uh, theirs to handle and do whatever they wished with. As a result, people from the Baltic states especially tried to get westward into the Allied territory. Andre told Riho an almost unbelievable story about how he was able to redirect the train from heading away from where he needed to go directly to where Riho's mom was. He most likely found out where she was through word of mouth or the intervention of the Red Cross. He eventually did make it to Augsburg where my great grandma and Riho were waiting. Uh, I gather that we were very hungry, uh, poorly dressed, but then my dad got a job with an American army base and uh, we moved from where I was born in Augsburg to Heidelberg and from there eventually to Belgium. Um, so, and we were very, very poor. Uh, my parents uh, had, my dad had to work in a coal mine in Belgium, uh, together with a bunch of other Estonians, in a, living in a tar paper barracks, uh, wow. and making very poor money, but having to work in the mine. That was the only job that they could get to allow them to get out of Germany into Belgium as refugees. Um, anyway, we ended up in Thunder Bay, and life went on. Uh, I, I was in a bush camp with my parents until, um, what is it, 1952, I guess. We came over in 1950. Uh, in those days, refugees had to have a guaranteed job for a year. Rio liked his new life in Thunder Bay, although it was a bit lonely because it was the only kid there. Andre took jobs in construction doing manual labor until he became an electrician, which was the last profession he held before he retired. My mother worked as the wives of many of the men there working in the camp. Um, worked in the kitchen and the laundry. Hmm. Um, so they 
prepare food for all these guys. But we actually had our own little house, cabin, whatever it was. Um, no running water. Uh, toilet was outdoors in an outhouse, which I was afraid to go to because we had bears. We had bears, no, literally. Uh, every now and then they shot a bear in the camp. So, uh, lived there. I was uh, the favorite of all the all the men and all the women because they didn't have any sh children there. I was the only one. So I got Molly called to the law. World War II left countless people in similar situations to Riho, or worse. The Soviets had occupied Estonia from 1940 to 1941 and caused more damage than the Germans did. In 2019, the website Estonian World recounted how lots of Estonians took refuge in displaced person camps in Germany. These camps were housing for those who no longer had a place to live and hoped to return to their country of origin. The conditions were so dire that one man in charge of the displaced persons camps, Earl G. Harrison, said, As matters now stand, we appear to be treating the Jews as the Nazis treated them, except that we do not exterminate them. Germany housed 200,000 Baltic displaced persons. 33,000 of them were Estonian. When people arrived to displaced persons camps, people often found relief in the security that they provided, although the conditions were harsh. Most Estonians were in constant fear of being extradited to the same country that they had just fleed from. They just had to wait and see what the future would hold. Traditions created after the war were drastically different than those that occurred before the war. Those that occurred after took advantage of the resources that were available and made the best out of a bad situation. <laughs> I remember uh, when they, in the wintertime, they cut down the trees by hand at first. They couldn't afford power saws. Cut the trees into four foot logs and loaded them onto these long uh, big sleighs that were drawn by a pair of horses. And many of the logs, most of which I guess, went swooshing on downstream and emptied into Lake Superior, where they were rounded up to uh, Thunder Bay. There are also some traditions that come from a much less wholesome nature. The tradition of people fleeing war-torn countries after wars or during wars is nothing new. This was no different at the end of the Second World War for the Estonians or any of those peoples residing in the Baltic states. Lots of them fled in small boats, mostly to Sweden, straight across the Baltic, or a little bit to Finland. But a lot of those smaller boats were picked off by the Russian Navy, you know, they, they were shot out of the water and that was the end of it. So, uh, so with the weather being crummy and um, the Baltic being a fairly turbulent sea, I gather, and the Russian boats, uh, your odds weren't very good, but lots of people made it out. So, the estimate is that uh, sixty thousand Estonians made it out at the end of the war. Nobody knows exactly, uh, you know, how many people died or how many had been sent to Siberia or whatever. Yeah. And there was no census. You know, everything was chaos at the end of the war. So, uh, they left everything behind. Couldn't finish their educations. Because uh, uh, 1939 was when the war broke out, and that seemed to be the end of everything they could do in Estonia. The impact on the world World War II left was bigger than any of us could have ever anticipated. Traditions ended, 
were started, and some were altogether forgotten about. But those who fought for what they believed in will never be forgotten. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and thank you, Riho, for telling us this amazing story. Make sure to subscribe to Untraditional, and I'll see you back here soon.